You're listening to the I Love You Keep Going podcast with George Haas. For more information, please visit our website at www.metagroup.org. That's www.m-e-t-t-a-g-r-o-u-p.org. So welcome, everybody. This is I Love You Keep Going. It's uh, July 14th, 2022 at 7.38 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. Uh, and uh, I thought that we would have a dialogue around uh, really the way that I think of it is the money and power side versus the community side of things. Uh, we, we had uh, started the conversation uh, a little bit before the, the class started, so we'll, we're going to jump in and it may seem like we're not starting at the beginning and that's only because we're not. <laughs> My sense of the practices and the reason that you come to practice is that we're seeking freedom. And the freedom that we're seeking is the freedom to understand the nature of the human condition and and to see things clearly so that we can be uh, effective in our expression of of, uh, our uh, exploration. Um, and what I notice in in the in the polarization of the politic here and and, and certainly in in the West is that uh, it always seems as if one side uh, is uh, limiting the freedom of the other side in in the way that they um, operate. So last week we were talking about Roe versus Wade. Um, and how the the uh, overturning of that uh, Supreme Court precedent uh, then results in uh, part of the country uh, having a restriction in the freedom to choose uh, how they would manage their reproductive rights. Uh, this affects uh, women, uh, and but it also affects men. Um, there in the patriarchy or that construction it seems that men uh, are reluctant to limit their own freedoms but are very happy to limit everyone else's and um, that uh, certain groups uh, position themselves higher up in the in the the power structure and they tend to feel comfortable in restricting uh, freedom in in people that have less power. Um, In the accumulation of power and wealth, uh, they don't mind such an unequal distribution of resources that we don't have uh, people uh, who uh, don't have enough. Now, I live in Los Angeles. In Los Angeles, half of the children have Food insecurity, we are, we're now calling it food insecurity. What is food insecurity? Food insecurity means that uh, a child, half of the population of children in Los Angeles cannot rely on the fact that they will have a meal when mealtime arises. This is not a small thing that we would allow half of the children of a of a, a city 
to have food insecurity. It is not a question of resources. It is a question of the distribution of resources. There's plenty. It's just not distributed in a way that uh, the people who are in power think that uh, half of the children should not have food insecurity. Um, now, um, there's, a, you know, in our government, we could do it federally, we could do it um, uh, statewide, locally, but we live in a country where three quarters of the federal budget is consumed by the military. So for every dollar that you pay in federal taxes, three quarters of that money is going to support the military. And so we have uh, this advanced military, but we don't have uh, infrastructure that other places that don't do that have. If you've been to some other Western countries recently, what you'll notice is they don't have the homeless problem that we have. They have homeless problems, but they, they address it. They don't have the collapsing bridges. They don't have the uh, rundown roads. Uh, um, they have trains. <laughs> they have bullet trains. Uh, they have, um, it's very different. Jake? So, I mean, I agree with you, it's obvious, right? But so what is the, the outcome that we're aiming for in this conversation? Why don't we just say, uh, well, these are all fabrications of our minds and we should aim for transcendence. What, why don't we just commit to that dialogue and instead go down the road of, uh, what do you call it? You call it papancha, right? Or you call it, uh, it's mental proliferation. I'm not denigrating that at all. I'm, I'm totally in agreement with you. But why do we, uh, why do we go down that path instead of just saying these are just mental fabrications in our mind? Well, is that one one is of the difference between a, a monastic and a and a householder is that we as householders are contributing to the creation mm -hmm. of those things, so that there's a karma okay. that I might. And now I know that there's a debate certainly about collective karma versus individual karma. But if I am paying my federal tax dollars and three quarters of that is going to the military, the military then is engaging in uh, activities which are uh, um, not suitable to an mm. ethical life, mm. I have some piece of that in my contribution. So I could say, for instance, well, I simply won't contribute to that, but you don't have the choice about that. There's no freedom to withhold three quarters of your tax dollars or to indicate on the tax form that you don't want that money going to the military. So, it so is, it's sort of like, it's necessary to have this sort of engagement. Just it's, it's, an, it's an ethical necessity to have this sort of social engagement is what you're saying. That's what I think. <clears throat> okay. Um, 
So for instance, if you read in the newspaper this morning, I like to read the newspapers, not so much that it's news, but I think of it as corporate propaganda and I like to keep up with it. <laughs> the, there was a big push in California for solar electrical power as an alternative to fossil fuels as a way of addressing um, climate change. But uh, these particular uh, <coughs> solar panels have a, a relatively short life. And then they have to be removed and replaced. And then what do you do with solar panels that are no longer operatable? Um, do, you, well, do you just dump them into the ocean or something? Well, we, we're even less creative than that. We just dump them in vacant lots. Uh, um, so here's the thing. It's a good idea to find alternatives to uh, uh, sources of energy that cause climate change. Would you agree? Would you agree that uh, the sun is a good good source of energy if we could find a way to, to convert it um, in the paper it said that the these uh panels uh cost between 20 and 30 dollars to uh, recycle but in the current market the recycled materials that can be reclaimed from the so solar panels are worth between two and three dollars Um, so it costs between $1 and $2 to put them in a landfill. Uh, so they're all being dumped in landfills and they're not being recycled. Now, could you imagine uh, thinking up a, a more, com a more uh, complete version of how this works. We know the solar panel lasts, let's say, 10 years. We know <coughs> the cost of recycling the, the panel. Um, we know the manufacturing costs. Could we not, in a system that didn't externalize costs for, the, for profit, include the cost of recycling in the sale price of the solar panel? And couldn't we obligate the manufacturer of the solar panel to re retrieve the panels that no longer work and recycle them, and that in, that we include that in the cost of uh, the distribution of solar panels. Now, the way that the solar panels in, in LA have been put up is because there's been a subsidy to put them up. So the taxpayers are paying um, a portion of the insulation cost of the solar panels in the first place. And we have moved the needle to 15% alternatives from fossil fuels to create energy in our society. But what you look at in the nature of uh, corporate capitalism, particularly in this country, is that these big companies are not profitable. And so how they have managed to make themselves uh sustainable but not profitable is through subsidies which is a contribution of of um, taxpayers and the externalization of costs these are the the two 
means of which these companies support themselves. If we were to suddenly stop subsidizing and demand that the externalization of costs be stopped, they would go out of business. Now, what we get from that, according to the money power side of things, is jobs for people. Um, but then if you pay tax dollars on your income from the job that you get from the corporation, and part of that money goes to subsidize the company that's employing you, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's less of them giving us jobs. You know what I mean? So this is part of the, 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 the dialogue that needs to be tuned so that actually what's happening is, is well known and we're, we're understanding that. The externalization of costs is that they're able to sell the solar panels and externalize the cost of recycling them again to the taxpayers because we're the ones who will end up paying for that. And this is true throughout these, the corporate world of these large companies. So from the community side of things, since we're involved as the community in paying for a large portion of this, including uh, uh, the external costs that they don't pay for, that makes them sustainable in terms of a, an operation, could we not say that we don't want to do that anymore? We do want to move away from fossil fuels, but we want a complete cycle where it's manufactured. The true cost of the of the um, products that you make are known, and it includes a return of the material so that it isn't simply this expansive use of resources that are then discarded, um, but it's it's a cycle of use. So this is more what I think of as the community side, where the purpose of this is to support the well-being of the community rather than to create a power and profit for a small group of people. Um, is that making sense in terms of defining the sides? Um, and I think that this would be more, uh, we would be able to do this better if we, um, uh, if, if the, our, our government at this point wasn't so corrupted by uh, money and power. Um, so then, as an individual who participates in this system as a householder, um, who has taken an, uh, an ethical stance uh, uh, to be of benefit to all sentient beings, how do we do this in a way that has an effect uh, that all beings are benefiting. That's the conundrum, I think. And when we say all sentient beings, of course, we're, we're not excluding the people of the opposition or we're not excluding the money power people. The money power people, of course, don't all have money and don't all have power, but they have the desire for it. It's an orientation, really. When you look at the the situation here, really, it, uh, the way that we have it now, and particularly this hard right swing and the move uh, into populism away from a, a collaborative uh, republic, um, it is the desire to not feel powerless, which uh, 
<clears throat> the understanding is that if I'm if I have power, I won't be powerless, and I won't have to have the feeling of uh, being powerless. If I have uh, if I uh, pursue wealth and support a system that that rewards uh, in an unfair way uh, the resources that we have, and I can get in that position, then I don't have to have uh, a lack of even the basics. Um, one of the things about this contraction of wealth and power into a smaller and smaller group of people is that it tends to cause the system to fall apart as as the the resources are removed from the very poor and the working uh, people they're less and less willing to go along with the system as it is as the wealth and power is concentrated uh, uh, and there's more resources to provide force to maintain uh, the public order, uh, the greater the distress is in, in uh, the lower end of distribution. And, and at a certain point, they won't hold the social fabric together. So you notice in the, the United States, what we've done is imprisoned 2.2 2 million people. We've militarized the police. Uh, there's routine, uh, uh, you know, killings by the police of citizens, all of that stuff creates this climate um, uh, of order, but at such a great expense. Uh, and at a certain point, it won't hold. And so I think that really one of the things that we're seeing now um, in our, in the United States, of course, is this, this the order isn't holding. Um, so, uh, and the remedies of that, of course, are a, a fair distribution of resources, uh, a return to a public education system where people can actually learn rather than the intentional destruction of it. Um, and so here we are. Practitioners of meditation, uh, people who are interested in understanding the nature <coughs> um, of the human condition and understanding our uh, responsibility and role in um, the society we're in and also the places that we hold in that society and um, that obligation to uh, express our opinions about uh, what's happening and also uh, exert the the uh, the forces that are ours to exert in the dialogue. <clears throat> so it's one of the reasons why I think it's a relevant topic for a group of people who come together around understanding meditation and uh, that the the sense of simply transcending it and and coming into our own uh, liberation is is not a, a reasonable response. Now it is um, probably not the Theravada Hinayana approach to this, but more a Mahayana approach. In the Hinayana approach, in the lesser vehicle. 
the idea really is that we each seek our own liberation. Uh, and there's no obligation uh, to the rest of us, uh, the rest of us. Christian? George, does that play out that in like Theravada Buddhist societies, they don't like, they don't get into like politics or like, is that like a survival mechanism for the, for the Dharma to just not get like bought by the politicians or whoever's in power? Well, <coughs> um, this is a we could look at it from the karma side and we could also look at it from the historical uh, power wealth community side in the karma side in theravada buddhism if you have unfortunate birth uh in in a, a lower caste of society or you're poor uh if you're uh, uh, disadvantaged it's a result of your karma and so then we look at an understanding of the nature of karma and in in this lifetime attempting to purify our karma so that we can be reborn again in a better situation so uh, that really results in very little charity uh, very little uh, uh, sense of obligation to people who are disadvantaged you are disadvantaged because of your karma. Um, and that that to me feels quite cold, but then I grew up in a in a, a Judeo Christian culture where uh, there there is an obligation for people who are better off to help poor the poor. There's an obligation of charity in the the acculturation that I experienced, and I would guess that most of us in the West have that sense of charity. <clears throat> in Mahayana Buddhism, the, the change is this obligation to the liberation of all sentient beings. And so uh, the Bodhisattva vow, at least as it's characterized in the West, is that we make the obligation to continue to be reincarnated until all sentient beings are liberated but i don't notice that there's uh, <coughs> an understanding of charity in the way that the west and the judeo-christian societies consider it um, in that way you might um, reflect on the the tibetan culture and the the nomadic and tribal nature of a great deal of that society but that's more the community side of things right if you look at for instance uh, the united states was populated when uh, the the europeans came but it was not a agrarian landowning patriarchal society in that sense it was a hunter-gatherer society because the patriarchal society of europe did not value that 
as a system, um, it was discarded. Um, the the value of it was discarded, and it was simply a, a, a place that we could take, uh, which we did. Um, but what we do look at is a substantial population of people who were able to operate in a community-based organization, a non-hierarchical government organization, and that they were able to tend the land and um, they were able to, to preserve it so that it was, uh, in some sense, handed off in a fairly pristine way from generation to generation, and that they were able to do that for millennia. Um, and we seem to be able to consume the entire planet's habitability in 200 years. It, uh, which one seems more valuable? Uh, that we have these colossal city centers, which are this extravagant use of resources for uh, you know, a very short period of time. Uh, and uh, that's valuable, whereas a society that regulated its population, that uh, regulated the t terrain that lived in harmony with the land for millennia is not valuable. Um, we, li we live in California. We have terrible wildfires because of the drought. Uh, but the, the, the native people, uh, the people who lived here before we took it, did controlled burns so that they didn't have that problem. So they, they understood the nature of it and addressed it and stood in be bewilderment for a century as we allowed the fuel for these uh, unbelievably intense wildfires to grow and collect, whereas they, they might have been managed in a different way. But that's because uh, the wisdom of, uh, of that system that new system that came in just completely devalued uh, the old. Of course, I live in Los Angeles. An old house here is built in the 1980s, and they're usually teardowns. Because <laughs> we don't preserve anything. <laughs> so my sense is that we need to dialogue we need to talk about these concerns. Uh, we need to get across the definitions barriers uh, and that we need to move into a, a more uh, community oriented view that values everybody's freedoms, not imposes a, a rigid sense of belief, um, which is usually at the expense of other of freedom of the people who don't uh, embrace it. Uh, I would like to not spend three quarters of every federal dollar on uh, the military and servicing the debt to pay for the military. I don't think that that's a good use of resources, um, particularly when half the children in Los Angeles have food insecurity. It doesn't make any sense at all to me. But then, <clears throat> uh, the big multinational corporations that rely on that military force to stay in business uh, don't see it that way. But then I don't think we should be subsidizing them either. 
And I certainly don't think we should permit the externalization of, of expenses uh, so that they can stay in business. Um, and somehow we need to come to a place of dialogue around this so that uh, what I would, what I really like in the idea of community is that each of us has the time, energy, and resources that we need so that we can pursue meaning in life. That's what, what uh, I think we need. <clears throat> I don't think that uh, we should organize society so that a small group of people can live in an extraordinary abundance and everybody else is restricted from being able to pursue the meaningfulness of life. That's what I think. Um, but I think that we need to do it uh, in such a way that uh, we aren't restricting each other's freedom in insisting on a point of view, which is what I think happened with uh, the, the uh, Christian nationalists on the Supreme Court imposing a point of view, which they think uh, is the morally correct or the ethically correct point of view. And it comes at the expense of uh, the freedom of uh, everyone who doesn't think that. Is that making sense? Um, and I don't want it to be uh, uh, understood that I'm suggesting that we compromise because I don't think we should um, in that sense. I don't think we should compromise by limiting some aspect of our capacity to uh, pursue meaning. I don't think that uh, half, I don't think that 20% of the children in Los Angeles should have food insecurity <laughs> as a compromise. Uh, I, uh, we built a new bridge in Los Angeles. I don't know if you've, the Sixth Street Viaduct Bridge. <clears throat> um, and it, and uh, it only came in $120 million over budget. Uh, and it's a spectacular bridge. I really, I really quite like it. Uh, we built a bunch of apartments for the homeless and the cost of building each of these apartments, these small one bedroom apartments was a million dollars a piece. Um, so, you know, the, 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 that level of corruption, that level of, of, of uh, greed is breathtaking and um, anyway jake well i had a question around something you just commented mm -hmm. you, you said um we shouldn't compromise about our meaning making but when we commit to practicing vipassana isn't that also in the sense of limiting our meaning making to the experience of not self. For instance, I recently had uh, an exercise to go through and list the most meaningful experiences of life. And I boiled it down to five of them. And while Vipassana insight meditation was the most meaningful experience, all the other meaningful experiences were in the self-experience and in the relational realm. Mm -hmm. And 
what do you think about you know when we're pursuing vipassana or or meditation which is a kind of solitary endeavor we do limit our our ability to engage those other areas of meaning making in our life i was just wondering if you could speak to that um, how do you mean <clears throat> well for instance I'm in right now i'm in a monastery and i'm sitting here for the next 90 days in a little cell and there's that that can be meaningful but all of the interpersonal relationships that I could otherwise be having or other things I could be pursuing in the world, you know, face-to-face -face meetings and people that I want to bond with and experiences I want to have, I can't do any of those. And so what do you think about that sort of trade-off? Is this a sort of limitation that's, 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 uh, how do you view this sort of limitation? Well, I don't, I guess I don't see it as a limitation. I think that you're engaged in, in a 90 day period of practice. And then when that period is over, there's the next period. Mm. Everything is impermanent. So the practice period is arises, passes, and then the next thing passes. There's no permanent elimination of, of any of those sources of meaning in the pursuit of only one because it's temporary. Okay. Christian. George, I think I have an idea for uh, the, food, the food insecurity that you mentioned. Um, couldn't we just feed the one 25% of the children <laughs> to the other 25% of the children? <laughs> No, we can't, Christian. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta break the whole capitalist system, or you gotta go through it. So, George, are you indicating like meta groups should be engaged in different types of creative endeavors to solve hunger and do community development and stuff like that as well? Um, I'm not at the moment. <clears throat> um, well, Seems like you're going there. Well, so I think that Metagroup is in the in in the business, if you would, of creating a dialogue around practice and creating uh, a sense of uh, intention in uh, uh, how you show up in uh, in for yourself and also for the community. Um, we. We are asked as a community to create the the means through which government uh, operates mainly by contributions of money. But then also uh, we have a, a societal agreement that we're going to go along with the order. <laughs> when the level of corruption gets to the place where uh, it is now. We are asked. Uh, to they asked us through this agreement that we have to keep the order to keep uh, order around things that we shouldn't be keeping order around so it's a it's a, a, a bind to be in 
have you ever wondered how a society could engage in genocide? And have you ever thought to yourself, I would never allow that to happen in my society, in my country. And, that, and yet, if you live in the United States, we engaged in genocide and we didn't stop it. They built concentration camps along the Texas border. They took children from their uh, parents. They didn't record who the parents were. They put them in chain link fences and let them sleep on cement floors. We did that in this country during the uh, Trump administration. And then the children uh, were sold through private adoption agencies to people who wanted to buy them. This but, is genocide. <clears throat> but you didn't do that and you didn't intend towards that. I paid my taxes and that money was used to do that. But you, you didn't intend, just because you had to, you're under duress, you have to pay That's taxes. what I'm saying. Yeah. But you didn't intend to harm those children. Why are you um, identifying? Is um, that part of, is that, is that a necessary component of our ethnocentric, ethnocentric identity as Americans is that we should necessarily be identified with what the American government is doing. We, as a citizen who contribute to the capacity of the government to do it, have an obligation. We're obligated. We can't simply say, oh, that's not me. I didn't agree to that part, so I, I take no responsibility for it. That's what so I'm people... saying. Hmm. Christian? Jake, I, I work as a bureaucrat, sort of as a, I think of myself as a rubber stamp for the oil and gas industry in terms of the work I do. And, and I think that my function in society is to let, is to kind of let the citizens around me, the politicians around me off the hook to feel like, well, someone's doing this work. There's some bureaucrat out there that's writing oil and gas permits so it must be it must be fine i must not need to engage with this and so then i have the citizens of the state i live in that don't really bother to get informed about this stuff but i can't take the entirety of the of like supporting or not supporting the oil and gas industry you know so at, at what point are people just kind of offloading their responsibilities onto like, well, these things are bigger than me, they're systemic and I can't engage. Like at some point, everyone has to get engaged on this stuff, even if as individuals, we can't make, you know, a difference just as one person, but we have to find ways to, to engage, I think. Especially because your, your livelihood is coming from it. In particularly, so that you feel quite responsible in that sense. Right. I have my responsibility and I try to work that out, you know, but people can't, like the, the, the citizens around me, it's not really, it doesn't make sense for them to go, this one person has, this one group of bureaucrats has the responsibility for managing this stuff. 
they can vote, they can lobby their politicians, they can do a lot of things. And so like we, we have to understand that the sort of systemic connections of our action or our inaction as individual citizens, I think. So what do we do? Why don't we do a little practice? Why don't we do a little Vipassana practice? Um, just doing a basic see, hear, feel, and then we'll go into uh, focus in, focus out, and just do a little bit of concentration to settle the mind before we begin. So go ahead and take your meditation posture. So how is that practice? Good enough? Good. So uh, thanks everybody for coming. Uh, we have um, the second of level two happening, uh, not this Saturday, but the following Saturday. Um, we're gonna start a, uh, a level two class in September. Um, take a look at that. We have a residential retreat uh, the first week of October up at Seven Circles. If you've been to Seven Circles before, uh, I, I just found out this week that they're actually gonna close the center because of uh, mainly COVID. But, um, the, uh, the, uh, they haven't had enough uh, attendance at the different retreats they've offered to be able to stay in business. So this is gonna be our last retreat at Seven Circles. So if you, if you want to indulge your nostalgia for having retreated there, you could come. Um, that's about it, what's coming up. Take a look at that if you're interested in any of it. I uh, teach this uh, uh, evening um, on a Donna basis. Uh, uh, Donna is the Pali word for uh, donation. Sometimes we translate it as generosity. Um, any uh, donation at all is appreciated. It helps support me and also the work Metagroup is doing. Thank you for coming, and we will see you soon, I hope. Bye.